Michelle, I appreciate that. If your Bibles are open to Genesis chapter 31, if you were here this morning, most of you were, uh, you realized and would recognize I preached about Jacob this morning, his wonderful prayer life in Genesis chapter 32. And uh, we're going to back up just a little bit because our message is going to revolve around the same individual uh, in a different type of circumstance, uh, just a little bit. Uh, if you understand the story of Jacob, uh, when he was about 40 years of age, he, he made some, some uh, issues at home uh, and his brother Esau thought to kill him. And so his mother in, encouraged him to leave. Uh, she thought just for a short time, maybe a few months till his brother cooled down. And he went to a country, a place called Haran, uh, where Rebecca, his mother, was from. Uh, and there he, uh, he, he uh, met his mother's family for the first time in his entire life. Uh, back then, they didn't travel back and forth. There wasn't communication. And so he met his uncle Laban uh, for the first time. Laban had two daughters. Uh, the eldest was a girl named Leah, and the other, the youngest, was Rachel. Well, uh, the moment that Jacob laid eyes on Rachel, uh, he fell in love with her. It was one of those literally love at first type, uh, sight types of things. But Jacob was penniless. He left with only his staff in his hand. He left uh, abruptly and didn't have time to take much with him. And so he had nothing to offer to Laban to, uh, uh, to uh, get Rachel to be his wife. And uh, so he made an agreement with him. He said, I will work seven years for the privilege of marrying your daughter. And Laban agreed to that. And the Bible says that those seven years seemed but a few days for the love that he had to her. Uh, it's, it's really one of those kind of really sweet love stories in the Bible. Well, the, the seven years were done. He, he went to Laban and said, give me my wife. I've served you for her. And they had uh, the ancient customs follow the, the celebration, the feast and all of that. And uh, we're not exactly familiar with all of their customs of the day. Uh, but, uh, you know, in, in those days, basically on the wedding night, uh, the father of the bride would escort her to the home, or in this case, maybe a tent, uh, to where the uh, groom lived and, and uh, would usher her indoors and so forth. They would consummate the marriage and, you know, it was, it was there. Oftentimes, uh, the wedding reception didn't happen until some days after they had consummated the marriage. We're not quite sure how Laban pulled this off, but when it came to the wedding night, he substituted daughters. Rachel was beautiful. Uh, she was younger. Jacob uh, dearly loved her. The Bible says that Leah was tender-eyed. Uh, we're not quite sure what that means. She might have had bad eyesight. And the days before glasses, she made her, had her face all scrunched up, scrunched up like that, trying to see uh, something. She might have had like a droopy eye or, or something like that. Uh, it doesn't appear that she was all that attractive or whatever. Somehow Laban switch girls. And uh, can you imagine poor Rachel on her wedding night to find out her own dad is doing this to her? Um, and we're not sure how he pulled it off. You know, some commentators think he might have got, uh, got Jacob drunk uh, to some point or whatever, uh, but he brought the wrong girl in on purpose. And the next morning, Jacob woke up, uh, rolled over to kiss his new bride. Good morning. He's like, yikes. Um, and it, it wasn't her. And, and he was infuriated, but by the laws of the, the day, there was nothing he could do about it. They had consummated that relationship. It was now a, a legal marriage uh, in the eyes of, if you will, the laws of their land. 
And uh, so uh, Jacob, the deceiver, has uh, met his match in Laban, the great deceiver. And uh, uh, so Jacob agrees to work for another seven years for the privilege of marrying uh, Rachel. It appears uh, from the Bible that they made the deal. But uh, Jacob didn't have to wait seven years for that to happen. He married her uh, right away. Turn back a a couple pages, chapter 29. Chapter 29. Uh, The Bible says, we'll start reading verse uh, 27. Um, This is Laban speaking. Fulfill her week, a week meaning seven years. We will give thee this also for the service which thou shalt serve with me yet seven other years. Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. Um, so it just appears that it, was, it, it happened right away. Now with the deal, I'm going to let you marry her now, but you, you owe me seven years of labor. Um, things have not gone well for Jacob since he arrived in Haran. All in all, Jacob would serve his uncle slash father-in-law for 20 long years. During that time, not only would his father-in-law pull the the big switcheroo on the wedding night, uh, the Bible says that that Laban would change Jacob's wages 10 times. That doesn't mean that he gave him raises all the time. Uh, Jacob's wages would generally be uh, a certain portion of the flocks and the herds that he kept for his father-in-law. Look at chapter 31. Back and forth a little bit. Jacob is explaining this to his wives in verse 7. Your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages. If the sheep brought forth uh, lambs that were speckled, sort of like you think of Dalmatian or something like that. He said, then all the cattle bear speckled. And if he said thus, the ring straight, that would be more striped, shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring straight. So um, he was just constantly trying to rip Jacob off. But every time he changed the wages, God, God just changed the way things work. And Jacob found out that God was working on him. Again, the deceiver Jacob has met his match in the deceiver Laban. And no wonder the Bible says Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For if whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Be careful how you live. Be careful how you treat people. Be careful how you act because you are just planting seeds and one day you are going to reap a harvest from that. Jacob sowed seeds of discord and strife and deception at home and he's reaping a pretty big harvest now, isn't he? And uh, he, he's learning all that. But at the same time, Jacob is learning how to walk with God. Jacob is learning how to see God in his life. And that's a different guy. We talked about the fact that by the time he left uh, his uncle's home in, in Haran, Jacob was no longer a deceiver of that kind. He still had a tendency to want to manipulate things, but not for selfish, bad reasons. He wasn't trying to rip somebody off. He was trying to work out his problems. And in, as we learned this morning, he learned in chapter 32, it, it's, it, that doesn't work. You need to learn to let God take care of all of those things. So uh, Jacob is, is learning some big lessons. And uh, I want you to notice a few observations about this situation, this time in Jacob's life. Uh, uh, First of all, I want you to know that Jacob has found himself in a difficult situation, this time not of his creation. What happened at home with Esau hating him, that was Jacob's fault. 
in Haran, none of it was his fault. He has found himself in a difficult situation and that has lasted for a very long time. It's been 20 years. Uh, the Bible tells us to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Sometimes trials, problems come to us and they are very short-lived. Sometimes it's just uh, maybe we, we, uh, we, we lose our job, but we find another one right away. Or the car breaks down, but we're able to get it repaired right away. And, and sometimes things happen like that. They're going to happen to all of, that, uh, all of us. But sometimes troubles and trials come, and they're not short-term. They're long-term. And they're going to last for a season. Jacob's been in one of those seasons where um, it, it, it seemed to start out well, uh, but seven years into it, all of a sudden the problems start and they don't, they don't end for the rest of his stay uh, with his uncle Laban. So he's found himself in a difficult situation. It's lasted for a long time. By the way, I think it is noteworthy for us to understand that in the future, Jacob's own son, Joseph, is going to go through this, the exact same situation. Uh, Joseph was born into a highly dysfunctional family. From the time he was born, his older brothers, who should have been looking out for him, uh, taking him under the wing, they hated him uh, for, for a number of reasons. He was his father's favorite child uh, and, and so forth. Jacob had a godly testimony. They did not. And the first 39 years of Joseph's life were very, very difficult as far as his family's concerned. Until he was the age of 30, his life was a nightmare. At 30 is when Pharaoh brought him out of prison, promoted him to second in command of Egypt, and he's finally living a comfortable lifestyle, perhaps an opulent lifestyle, though the family situation's not been remedied. But it was 39 years. That's a long season to go through a trial. Jacob had no idea that his own son was going to follow in similar footsteps. Uh, the apostle Paul found himself in a situation. In our study on Wednesday night, we have seen how it began in Jerusalem uh, with the riots in the temple and the imprisonment. And uh, then two years later, no charges proven against him, yet he is still uh, languishing in prison. Pretty soon he's going to be shipped off to Rome, and he's got several more years of that ahead of him. Um, and sometimes that happens. So this is just an observation that Jacob has found himself in a difficult situation. It's lasted for a long time. There's a second thing I want you to understand, and the scripture will verify this. Jacob did not allow the wrongdoing of someone else to become his excuse for doing wrong. And I touched on this a bit this morning, but let me say that again. Jacob did not allow the wrongdoing of someone else to be his excuse for wrongdoing. Look, if you would, please, in verse number, um, verse number four, Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock. And he said unto, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And notice what he said in verse six, and ye know that with all my power, I have served your father. He's getting ripped off by this man. 
His wages are changed not once or twice, but 10 times, always in a scheme to hurt Jacob and benefit Laban. And yet Jacob's testimony, he's looking at his wife, said, you know, you know the truth that with all my power, I have served your father. Jacob and his family and all of their possessions are going to leave Haran. They're going to leave under cover of night uh, for fear of what Laban might do by way of reprisal. Laban chased them down after a week or so and caught up with them. And I want you to notice uh, Jacob's testimony here in verse 36. This is Jacob talking to his father-in-law. Jacob was wroth and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here. Before my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both. This 20 years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young. The rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beast, I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was. In the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been 20 years in thy house. I served thee 14 years for thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle and thou hast changed my wages 10 times. Do you understand Jacob is being wronged, but Jacob kept doing right. How important that is. It is, it is very easy for us when we have been wronged to feel like we now have a justification or an excuse to do wrong in retaliation. As I mentioned also this morning, two wrongs have never made a right in the history of the world. That is not God's plan. That is not God's way. What's the Bible say? Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Uh, the Savior taught his disciples, if someone smites you on the left hand, show them thy right, thy right cheek also. Uh, not to play this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth type thing. Uh, that is not God's plan. And Jacob has lived that out. He's able to sit in front of his wives who would know him the best and, and, and had the closest relationship and said, you know what I've been. Gentlemen, we had to always live in such a way that we can honestly look at our wives and make such a statement and they don't have to stifle a chuckle and roll their eyes at us. They ought to be able to know, yeah, you're right. We've watched you do right no matter what. We mentioned earlier on the first point that Jacob found himself in that long lasting difficult situation that his son Joseph would find him in a similar situation. It is interesting to me to understand that Joseph also responded the same way as his dad. Joseph never retaliated. He had opportunity for revenge. When his brothers came down and, and, and after all that time and he's second in command in Egypt, he sees them bowing before him. They have no idea who he is. You realize he's got the power to end their lives. He's got the power to throw them in prison with no hope of ever being let out again. He's got, the, he's got the ability to get the fullest revenge there is. Did he? No. In fact, when he revealed himself, they were terrified. 
they, they thought for sure that that's exactly what he's going to do. And he said, no, come near to me. He said, am I, am I in the place of God? He said, it is God that sent me before you to save you a, pros, a, a posterity. And, and, and I'm here. God had a plan in all of this. Would you understand Joseph had a pretty good role model in this? Because that's exactly the way his dad handled this problem. Moms and dads, would you understand that the next generation's watching us? They're watching how we handle problems. They're, they're, they're watching how we talk. They're watching how we treat people. Um, evangelist Dennis Coral said here decades ago, he said, what we tolerate, our children exaggerate. Um, jo Joseph had this role model in front of him set by his dad, and, and we need to be careful about that, moms and dads. Because our kids are watching very closely. And what they see is what they're going to do. And if you want your children to be right in the future, you better be right in the present at this time. So we see this man, uh, Jacob. He's not allowing someone else's wrongdoing to be his excuse for doing wrong. The problem is too many of us are, are, are far more concerned about what everybody else is doing and what everybody else ought to do, and we really ought to be concerned about ourselves. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. The Savior sets forth a principle here, a somewhat different setting and circumstance, but it, uh, it bears some understanding from us. The Lord is told, talk to Peter. He appeared to him after the resurrection, and you remember Peter, uh, lovest thou me? And Peter said, yea, you know that I love me. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, and so forth. And then the Lord told Peter basically how he was going to one day give his life, suffer a martyr's death, uh, and so forth. And um, verse number 20. So Peter's learned all this. He's learned that God's, God's got a plan. God wants to use him. And one day he'll give his life for the cause of Christ. Then Peter turning about, Seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, that would be the apostle John, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Isn't that human? So, so if, if, if I'm going to suffer a martyr, martyr's death, what about John? What, so what's he going to do? We're, we're always so worried about what everybody else is supposed to do or what everybody else is doing, uh, that type of thing. Notice the Savior's response. Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. He never said that John would never die. He said, but if I, if I decide John will stay alive until I come back again, which would have been kind of cool. John would be over 2,000 years old now. He said, but if, if that's my plan for John, that he never dies, why is that any of your business? Um, and, and, and we need to grab a hold of that particular principle the Savior's setting out there. We're so worried about what everybody else is doing, whether it be right, whether it be wrong, and we really ought to be worrying about ourselves. And so Jacob is following that principle in his life. He's got that testimony. In fact, when he confronted his father-in-law, Laban had nothing to answer back to him. Um, uh, Laban couldn't look at him and say, no, Jacob, no, Jacob. You may say that, but that, that's not the way it was. Laban knew that Jacob was telling the truth. There's a third thing that I want you to understand uh, tonight about this uh, back in Genesis chapter 31. He's in a bad situation. It's been bad for a very, 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 very long time. I'm not sure about you, 
but when a situation is bad and stays bad, I have a tendency to want to run away from it. I, I just like to have it over with, get it, get it done with. Jacob, here's the third point. Jacob didn't allow the circumstances to dictate his life. He learned to allow God to do that. Now, he's living there. He's, he's a wealthy man. He's got his wives. He's got a large family uh, and all of those things. Again, chapter 31, he heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's and of that which is our father's hath he gotten all this glory. Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban. Behold, it was not toward him as before. So it's all bad. He, he sees her, uh, his wife's families, uh, brothers and so forth, mad at him, treating him wrong. But here's it, here it is. The Lord said unto Jacob, return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Jacob didn't leave because there was a problem. Jacob left because God said go. And there's a difference. We learned this morning, Jacob wasn't going to a problem-free life. He was going back to face Esau, biggest problem he was ever going to deal with at that time. Um, but he went because God told him to. As Jacob spoke to his, his wives, notice what he says in verse number 11, chapter 31. The angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, here am I. Again, he's talking to his wives more about that conversation the Lord had with him in verse 3. Um, and he said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap uh, upon the cattle are ring straight, speckled and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel. Where thou anointest the pillar, that was the night he ran away from home and he met God for the first time. And where thou vowest a vow unto me, now arise, get thee out from this land and return unto the land of thy kindred. Jacob is a man that learned to let God dictate the circumstances of his life. It doesn't come easy to us, does it? Not even a little bit. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Most spiritual lessons run contrary to our nature. Paul is talking about the subject of contentment. He says in verse number 10 of Philippians 4, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. It appears that from the time of Acts chapter 16, when Paul established the church at Philippi, that this church had a habit of sending financial support to him through the many years that would follow. Uh, it was a poor church. Uh, it was a church that suffered a lot of persecution. Uh, but out of their, their poverty, they just, uh, uh, Second Corinthians, Paul writes about them. They had a great uh, heart of liberality. And so they sent to Paul once and again, and they've done that. He's re responding to their latest gift. He's thanking them for that. And verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. Notice the next few words. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I have learned to be like that. Contentment doesn't usually come naturally to human beings. We, we, we always want more. We always want better. Um, and, and sometimes it's hard to be satisfied with what we have, if it's, especially if it's not very much or if it's not very new. Paul said, I have learned, meaning God had to teach him some things. Paul grew up as a Pharisee in a Pharisee's household. 
Now, that's more than a title. That was a position in Jewish culture and society. The Pharisees generally were very well-off individuals. Uh, they were well-paid for their services. They were well-respected. Paul may have been, most likely uh, had grown up in, in a household where his needs were all supplied for him. So all of a sudden to be in the role of a, of a traveling missionary preacher, uh, living with some of the deprivations we've learned about in the book of Acts, going without was a big change for him in his life. But he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And if we've learned anything from Jacob's life today in our, our two messages, Jacob has learned those things. Go back with me and look at our text, Genesis 31. I want you to notice some statements that Jacob makes. Not only did the Lord tell him to go back, look at verse five. He's talking to his wives. I see your father's countenance that it is not toward me as before. I have this underlined in my Bible, but the God of my father hath been with me. Jacob's got that realization. It's not something he gave much thought to when he was a young man back home, when he was growing up in, in the home of Isaac and Rebekah, but he's seeing that in the midst of all of his troubles there, he said, but the God of my father hath been with me. Look at verse seven. Your father hath deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. I have this next phrase underlined in my Bible. But God suffered him not to hurt me. The word suffer means allowed. He goes, your father tried to cheat me 10 different times. God wouldn't let him do so. Not even a little bit. Uh, look, if you would, please. Um, uh, let me see. I, I had another phrase. Um, verse 42. Verse 42, he's talking to Laban. He's, he's, he's pled his case before and he's given his testimony. He says, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely thou had sent me away now empty. God hath seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. One of the great victories of the Christian life is when we learn to see the hand of God in leadership in our lives. And it's hard for us to take our hands off the reins and to let God drive. But if we're gonna go anywhere for God, we have to come to that place. David prayed in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Turn in your Bible, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, I believe also penned by David the longest chapter in all of the Bible, almost all the verses, all but about six or seven, talk about the Bible directly. Look at Psalm 119 in verse 133. This is a prayer that, that David is lifting up before the Lord. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. He is asking the Lord, order me around. Tell me what to do. Order my steps in thy word. Human beings, as human beings, we don't like taking orders. We, we tend to bristle about that. It starts when we're little children and it doesn't often change much as we reach our adulthood. But if we're gonna grow in grace, we have to learn to take our orders from almighty God. Turn to Proverbs chapter three. And I'm sure you can quote it, but it's good to see it again. The wisest human being that ever lived 
shared this truth with his son. Trust in the Lord, verse 5, with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. In all thy ways acknowledge him. So Lord, is this the way I'm supposed to go? Lord, is this how I'm supposed to handle this? Lord, is this how I should respond? Lord, is this what I should say? In all thy ways, acknowledge him. And the Bible says he shall direct thy paths. If you're really interested in what God wants you to do, he'll let you know. So we see that David is praying, Lord, order my steps in thy word. We now find that David's son Solomon is teaching David's grandson the exact same truth. Once again, we're reminded that Jacob's own son Joseph would follow the exact same course of action in his own life. When, when Potiphar's wife came to, to uh, Joseph and, and said, lie with me, commit a, a fornication with me, Joseph said, uh, God forbid that I should sin against God and against my master in doing this. He, he, is, he was a young man in a bad situation, but he said, I, I'm not going to step outside the bounds of God's leadership and God's word in my life. May I just say this once again, moms and dads, parents, grandparents, we need to sit up and take stock of the example we're setting for the next generation because unless the Lord intervenes, they're going to follow exactly in our footsteps. And if that's the case, how are they going to turn out? You talk about living with eternity in view. When you influence the next generation for God, you're living with eternity in view. Because they're the next generation of preachers, missionaries, evangelists, deacons, Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, soul winners. Because one of these days, we're going to pass off this scene if the Lord tarries. And there's going to have to be somebody to carry on the Lord's work. We better be careful the example that we set. So here's this man, Jacob, 20 years in a bad situation. And, and I know there's much about Jacob's life that has been held up for, for scorn and ridicule. And he certainly made mistakes. By the way, are you not glad that God didn't put your life in the Bible for everybody to read it? Anybody okay with that? I mean, if you're a Joseph and, and you know, God's not going to say anything, anything negative about you or a Daniel, that's fine. But if you're a, a, a Jacob or a David or somebody like that, uh, there are some things we probably just rather others not know. So be careful before we ridicule or, or, or cast into scorn some of these people in the Bible. But in Genesis 31, everything about the way J uh, Jacob is handling a bad situation becomes a, a, a lesson for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you don't have to turn to it. Uh, the Apostle Paul refers the church at Corinth to the events that happened in the life of the nation of Israel, especially in their days with Moses in the wilderness. And, and using that, he warns them about murmuring. He warns them about adultery, about, uh, 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 about idolatry, and so many other things. And, and the Bible says this, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples. For ensamples. That's an example. Uh, there have been times I've gone to my doctor and I've, I've had a, uh, you know, some issue or, or whatever. And uh, he said, uh, uh, hold on a minute. He's come back in and he's handed me out samples of medication. 
He said, let's try these, see if they work. And if it does, then I'll write you a prescription. They're what, you know, uh, you know, pharmaceutical companies brought in their representative and said, you know, you might want to try prescribing this for your patients. So he's given me a sample of something, said, see how it works. The Bible said all those things we read in the Old Testament about people, both good and bad, they're our in, in samples. Examples to us, they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And then it follows with this. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We always want to try to reinvent the wheel. Well, I know that's what happened to them, but it won't happen to me. Um, I know the Bible says, but that's not what's going to happen to me. The Bible says, be careful. Let him that thinketh that he standeth take heed lest he fall. A wise person looks at those examples and says, let me learn everything that I can. So here's a man in a bad situation that lasted for a long time. Rather than retaliate and use that as his excuse to sin, Jacob didn't do that. Jacob did right no matter what anybody else around him was doing. Again, we're not, we're not going to stand before God based on what other people do. We're going to stand before God based on what we do. And we got to be reminded of that. Um, in the long run, Jacob learned not to let circumstances dictate his life. Don't let circumstances dictate your mood. And it's easy, especially if they drag on for a long time. Trust me, I know. He learned to let God do that. And as he learned to follow the leadership of God, the blessings in Jacob's life just kept growing and growing and growing. By the end of uh, chapter 32, he had a new walk with God. He had a new relationship with God. By the beginning of chapter 33, uh, God brought this, if you will, a revival between him and his brother Esau, the man that was headed out to kill him with 400 soldiers. All of a sudden, is tearfully embracing him. Uh, they're, they're weeping together and, and, and they're brothers once again for the first time in decades. And, and uh, God's got a plan for Jacob's life, but Jacob might have forfeited a lot of that if he'd have just kept on his old ways and said, I'm going to scheme my way out of this, or he's done me wrong, let me do wrong back to him. Instead, he is a man who step by step learned to let God order his steps. And if you and I are to learn from him, we got to become that way. Can we bow for prayer tonight? Father, thank